in your mind. All in your mind. All in your mind. All Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of All In Your Mind. Uh, this particular episode is dedicated to our incredibly popular uh, series, Demon Cycle, uh, of which there are now uh, four books and uh, a novella and two and two uh, short actually, stories. Or are they? It? It's four. Three novellas. Four nove three, three novellas. Yeah, three novellas. novellas. All right. Yeah. Three novellas, so. and then we combine them all into one offering as well. Excellent. Yes. Well, see, uh, already I'm speaking up as the voice of ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Uh, what we let's let's introduce our cast for today. Uh, uh, first of all, let's introduce the author of this uh, incredible series, uh, Peter V. Brett. Peter, how you doing today? Hey, great. Thanks for having me. Uh, I should say I'm Rick Rowan. Uh, to my right, I have Rose Supan, who Hello. is director of the latest versions of The Demon Cycle. Johan Detweiler, special guest on my left, uh, is the director of the first two, two Demon two. Cycle books yeah. and been the post-production engineer on all of them, correct? The yeah. sound designer on every every single one. And the adapter on everything but one novella. Yeah, that's so, true, too. So I can get away with being the voice of ignorance. I'm surrounded by experts. <laughs> Johan is the demon cycle. Johan is right. the demon cycle. I was going to well, say, I direct and Johan okay. does everything I, I, else. I think, to be fair, Peter is probably yeah. a little yeah. demon yeah. cycle. Yeah, yeah. yeah you might. Well, look, I'm a, look. Johan and, uh, and I had like this great meeting like early on when we first started doing this, when I was still didn't really understand exactly how you guys were going to work and Johan and I went through so much detail that like he really became the expert I think and, and <laughs> took over this project amazingly I should mention that as as usual we have Dwayne Beeman behind the glass doing uh, doing sound design on here and he'll he'll uh, pipe in whenever uh, necessary he can also speak from ignorance although a little bit more knowledge than I perhaps since he does the the final uh, sign off on on all of our products as they go out the door right so, so Peter, you want to start talking about uh, the the basic premise of Demon Cycle and the world, the universe of the Demon Cycle? Yeah, sure. So, the Demon Cycle takes place in a world where demons rise up out of the ground uh, at night and sort of ravage the land. Um, these creatures are effectively immortal and immune to normal weapons, and so the only way to protect yourself is to surround your home or your fields or your livestock or whatever with these magical symbols called wards hmm. uh, through which the demons cannot pass. So it's kind of like holding up a cross to a vampire. You know, the, the magic of these symbols holds the demons back, but uh, it only works. It's a very fragile magic that only works if the symbols are not messed up in any way. And right. so uh, very quickly, like, they can get... Uh, marred and and have allow the demons to have access and so that's sort of the setting for the series and then it's really sort of like uh, uh, humanity has been sort of knocked back to like a little house on the prairie level of technology and people live in these very isolated communities because you can't travel more than a day from your home because as soon as the sun sets the demons come out and kill everyone and so you kind of have to be home behind your carefully crafted wards before that happens. Uh, 
And so at this stage, humanity has basically been sort of culled nearly to extinction. And uh, the demon cycle is sort of like a series of, of character studies. It's like an ensemble piece of like these pivotal characters at this moment in history when humanity starts to make a comeback. Um, we start out with a number of characters, all of whom are uh, scarred in their childhood by like an encounter with a demon and how that encounter sort of pushes each of them onto their own path towards becoming a hero in their own right and finding a, a way to fight back against the demons. And each one of these characters finds a different way of fighting back. And uh, alone, you know, none of them are, are enough to sort of stand back against this tide, but uh, they begin to find out that together they can accomplish sort of amazing things. So that's the basic premise for the books without getting into detail on individual characters, which that's, I expect we'll probably do at some point. That's good. The, uh, and uh, the, spe- the, the first book in the series is called The Warded Man, so right away you know what, the, you know, what that refers to. Yeah, that's a bit of a spoiler. It's also the, cover. the cover is kind of a bit of a spoiler. I, I'm sure there are plenty of surprises still. Yeah, you know, sometimes you just have to accept uh, a little spoiler to sell the series. And so uh, showing the main character tattooed on the cover of the book... Uh, maybe gives away some of uh, one character's path to power, but I think it also, like, attracts a lot of excitement. And so it was was worth giving up that secret. That's just a superficial thing. I mean, there's a lot of depth to it to derive from that. Um, I, why don't we go ahead and go? Uh, we'll run through really quick just the titles we got so far. There are four. So far, there are four books in the series. There, the first is the Warded Man, which we in mm-hmm. audio told in two parts. Then we go to the Desert Spear, which is told in three parts. Uh, then there are. Uh, do the novels fall in between the gaps here? I know the you third book. The want, third book is the Daylight War, right? Of which there are two parts. The third book. Yeah. And then the fourth is the Skull Throne, which we're in the process now of, of delivering. But in between... Yeah, and I think books, that's going to be in three parts, right? Right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, in between are, are the novellas, uh, right. The Great Bazaar, Brian's Gold, and Messenger's Legacy. And Brian's so the way gold. that the novellas... <laughs> Brian's Gold. Oh, Brian's Gold. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we Shame are on you. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of one of the great uh, things about fantasy is that <laughs> that there are uh, as many different pronunciations of all the characters and worlds and. Uh, it's funny how sometimes I'm not even consistent about it. And, yeah. You know, this is this is a good example where like Rose or or, or Johan would call me up and ask me to pronounce every single thing in the book, but a lot of the names are names that I've never actually said out loud. You right. know, they, they kind of exist only in writing. And so I'll say them out loud, uh, and then, you know, after I'm done giving them all the pronunciations, I'll kind of think about it. I'm like, well, maybe I'd say it a different way. <laughs> and, or, or, they'll, or I'll be asked again and, and not be entirely consistent. I think I'm, I think I'm 85% consistent. <laughs> um, well, we try to lock But the in. idea, yeah. <laughs> a lot of the names were uh, were meant to be sort of normal names that, uh, as you know, after sort of the libraries were burned and people became illiterate, the idea was that these normal names sort of 
uh, people took a shortcut to spelling a lot of names, and so you have names uh, that are sort of pronounced more or less the same way regular names are, but they're spelled a little differently, and so they look a little different on the page, but when you say them out loud, they're, they're, they just sound like normal names, and so sometimes we've... Uh, like Brian is a, is a good example and Brian's gold like I, I always kind of thought of it as just Brian but Brian sounds a little more fantasy yeah <laughs> and yeah. so like we, it was better to go with that pronunciation for the audio piece because you don't get the sort of exotic look of the name when you're saying it the same way you do when you're reading it because when you read B-R-A-Y-A-N like it looks True, yeah. Exotic, even if it's still pronounced normally. You know, Peter, um, I can't tell you how relieved I am to hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> You're recording it as brand. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, this, these, these are the sorts of things that we needed to work out when converting the books from, from text to audio. And, like, it's kind of an exciting aspect of things, you know, where you, you can't you can't hold on too preciously to the way it is in one format when you shift to the other because, you know, pacing and pronunciation and, and the way things are set up needs to be a little different when you shift from one medium to another. So you want to be as loyal as you can to the source material, but still do what makes the best production uh, in, the, in the new medium. And when you start performing something, it just sort of starts to crystallize into something just a little more concrete. It's, it's less, less personal imagination. It's a little bit more defined out of necessity. Um, and I'm yeah. sure that's, that's been revelatory to you to hear the different interpretations of what, what you originally envisioned. Yeah, so we, we did, we did uh, deviate for a moment. So let me just uh, yeah, yeah, finish yeah. what we were saying. Um, so... The way the novellas are meant to be read, like if you want to read the books like kind of in quote unquote order, uh, you would do The Warded Man first, The Great Bazaar second, The, Des the Desert Spear third, uh, The Daylight War fourth, uh, Messenger's Legacy fifth, and Skull Throne sixth. And then uh, Brayen's Gold, you can kind of read any time because it's not tied as, like, it, it is, it does occur in, in world and it, like, chronologically takes place during the course of the, the book, The Warded Man, but it's kind of a standalone story and isn't as tied as deeply to the other ones as, as the first ones. So I would, I usually would say the, no, the novellas that were written in between the novels, so it's, I wrote Painted Man, and then I wrote Great Bazaar, and then I wrote Desert Spear, and then I wrote Brand's Gold, and then I wrote The Daylight War, and then I wrote Messenger's Legacy, and then I wrote Skull Throne, and they all sort of flow together that way. Right. Um, so if you're if you're like a if you're a real like sort of OCD completist and you want to listen to them <laughs> in proper order, that would be the way to do it. Um, uh, Peter, have you always gone chronologically forward with your story, or do you do you pull back uh, uh, and 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 start from different time perspectives on things, or is it all pretty linear? We jump around time wise a lot in the books. Okay. Um, I frequently will will. Uh, you know, in the first book, the characters start out young, and then there's these big sort of time gaps where they'll will jump forward five years, and then they'll be a little bit older and able to do more things. And uh, and then in the second book, uh, we immediately go back. Um, I think almost thirty years uh, to tell the childhood story of a character who's sort of an adult in the main series. 
and we go, and then we're jumping back and forth in time in that book, and then the same thing happens in The Daylight War, where we take another character and we jump back about 30 years and get her childhood, and then we sort of flip back to the, the quote-unquote now of the story where she's an adult. Um, and there's a little bit of that in the Skull Throne, too. So we do sort of jump around a lot, and so the actors, I think, need to be able to play characters at different ages and I think in a, in, a, in a few cases we actually have different characters for the childhood yeah that makes part sense. and the adult part well, um, I want to get the directors involved in this a little bit um, uh, Johan you're, you, you basically started the graphic audio versions of these series and you had certain production challenges that you had to encounter right off the bat um, and I know you guys, you and Peter, were kind of feeling each other out in terms of what the approach was going to be. Um, what, what, do you, what were the initial challenges that, in, in creating the design and the feel of this, this so, world? So I think uh, Peter did a pretty good job of laying it out. This, is, this book is filled with demons. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a lot of different kinds of demons. And um, it's really interesting how he, how he wrote it because dependent upon which type of environment you're in, you're going to get different types of demons. So you have rock demons and wood demons, flame demons, and as you go higher into the mountains, you get stone demons and snow demons and, and everything like that. And as I was talking to him about it, and he was kind of cluing me in that, you know, other types of demons might show up later in the books, and to be aware of it, it became pretty obvious that we'd have to get some sort of way to start differentiating these sounds so that when the audience is listening to it they could immediately pick up on oh that's a wood demon that's a flame demon cool. um just by the various sound effects so um uh, uh, yeah. after after our initial conversation um you know i pretty much asked peter i was like hey what do you think these things sound like which i'm <laughs> sure is probably the last thing that you ever <laughs> thought about when you're writing these books um, but we had a pretty cool conversation where we, we talked about, I remember one in particular was we really talked about the wind demons, um, which and wind demons are basically like giant flying bat-like pterodactyl things with teeth. and Yeah, like pterodactyls. Yeah, it's yeah. gnarly as hell. And, um, and, and we were talking about it, and it's like, what would be a really cool sound? And it'd be, it'd be awesome if they just had this like piercing screech. Like every time a wind demon comes in, there's just this piercing screech. And I was like, that is an awesome idea. Um, and it actually was funny because I had just bought a new microwave and I was taking the microwave out of the box and it was wrapped in styrofoam and my hands were wet and I grabbed it and it was like that perfect screechy sound. I was like, oh, that's freaking phenomenal. So I, I, uh, I went in and, and got my little recorder and did a whole bunch of screeching on styrofoam and, uh, oh, and processed man. the hell out of it. And so, yeah, Peter, you're, you're wind demons. This is why your job is fabulous. Wow. That is, that is, <laughs> I love Your that wind stuff. demons are made out of styrofoam. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and so it was really interesting to have that initial conversation because we, we immediately knew that there were going to be these different types. So it was really a, a neat opportunity to use a lot of uh, newer emerging technologies um, uh, and actually some stuff that was used back in the day on transformers um, where basically you you input a sound and then you augment the sound with um, another sound so for mm -hmm. instance with the rock demons what I did was created a demon sound and then augmented the sound with the sound of a rock slide so the rock demons right yeah really they have like their footfalls yeah exactly so they end up having this really low rumbly sound the wood demons i ended up using a didgeridoo so the wood demons kind of have this hollow <laughs> kind of sound that resonates through their as if they were kind of almost screaming through a trunk 
Um, you really yeah. use the didgeridoo? Yeah, yeah. Where, where do you get a didgeridoo? <laughs> <laughs> Johan hated me because I kept wanting to use didgeridoos in the westerns that we were doing together. I am so happy to hear so, yeah, that, that you used it. And actually, the wood demons, I think, are one of the cooler sounding demons. So it, it worked out well. Um, and, and actually, another major part of the, the novel is... Um, the fact that there's a lot of musicians and that music plays oh, right. a very large yeah. in the books. Um, and, and, you know, not wanting to give away too much, but there certain characters do find that there's actual power in music and, and it gives them the ability to sort of battle the demons in a, in a different way than the wards, um, which is very cool, but of hmm. course immediately was like, yeah. How the hell do we do that? Yeah. We um, don't have a house fiddler on stage. But not only not only the, the magical aspect of it, but the, the fact that because this world is sort of set back, and as Peter said, the, the little um, uh, little house on the prairie kind of feel, mm. um, entertainment has yeah. now been taken over, not by a television, but by these people called the jongleurs, which are basically traveling entertainers. Oh, right. And each of these entertainers um, are, are musicians and, and uh, you know, playwrights and, and just really, really talented. Storytellers. And yeah. Storytellers, yeah. yeah. Right. So um, a, a lot of it is um, these people actually write stories about the, the lives of some of the characters in the books. And, and Peter wrote out the, uh, the actual lyrics to those. And so that was a great opportunity for us to go ahead and craft some music around it and, mm -hmm. and actually have the actors perform the songs and, and, and have them sing to the, uh, to the uh, music that we had put together. Um, so it was a really, really cool opportunity to, to kind of take those reins. I don't think we'd done anything like that in the past. So that yeah. was fun. And that was really like a big sort of decisive moment when I was listening to the to the production where, I, where like they got to the, you know, they started playing music and I was like, oh shit, they put this to me. They put those lyrics to music. <laughs> I feel like I never planned for that to happen. <laughs> and like... And, and 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 like I remember like having this sense of like oh shit this is this is where this whole production might fall apart <laughs> and then it, and then it was amazing and I, and and like I was incredibly relieved because I was like like that, like I don't know how to I, I like I'm not a songwriter like I wrote lyrics in the in the book and like it works in text yeah, but I didn't yeah. really know how that was going to translate musically and so. <laughs> Well, I, I was kind of amazed at how well it came out and, and like the different perform like the, you kind of like put in a, like sort of original music and that was really amazing and then the performers really like fell into it and did kind of an amazing job there's a lot of there's a lot of sort of like also like uh, singing that's not like not quite as lyrical where they're giving you know they're using voices as, as like background to someone who's singing mm -hmm. and like it's just you do incredible work on it and like, and like that's one of the things that sort of excited me most about this production it makes me really eager to sell it when I'm talking to people about who are into audio it's, it's just you know like they wrote a original music thing and, and you know like really just <laughs> Well, well, Peter, before you had that oh shit moment, I'm sure that Johan had his own. <laughs> <laughs> I had the uh, <laughs> beat my head against the desk moment many times because 
Oh, and I mean, like, my, but that's the coolest stuff—the stuff where you go, "Oh my God, how am I going to do this?" Oh, yeah. And yeah. then you come up yeah. with some way to do it. Yeah, and, and my and then you buy a microwave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There you go. exactly. Exactly. And I mean, my my musical composition style is is much less Chopin and much more button mashing. So yeah. um, it was it was very interesting because I, I didn't really know how to approach it. So it was literally just you know reading his text and kind of hammering stuff out on a keyboard and and slowly but surely building up a composition that actually worked um, which is good because maybe uh, maybe as you said because you had only ever written it in words if a real musician had done it they might have had more problems trying to put it to an actual yeah. musical structure but I just kind of went along with it and it there, worked. There is freedom in starting from scratch. <laughs> there really stats. is. You know, yeah. you, you, you don't know what you can't do, so you try things a lot of the time and, yeah. and you discover amazing things. I've always felt that, that that having the confidence of ignorance is one of the greatest tools an artist can have. I mean that in the nicest way you want. Rick no, looks so, no, I, so confident well, in me, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, open I am completely ignorant when it yeah. comes to well, but stuff, it gives so. you a kind of courage to, to <laughs> tackle these things. So now, when Rose, when you took over the reins of this established, uh, uh, that must have been a little intimidating. It was extremely of- <laughs> intimidating, but with Johan still adapting and Johan still doing the engineering, I at least had that. Yeah, there was continuity there. <laughs> I yeah. was thrilled, though, that because in the Daylight War, without really giving anything that away... Was the, that was the first book you took on? That was the first one I took on, but... It backs up in the story, not all of it, we do move back and forth, but it gave us a chance to follow a female character, which thrilled me because she Ah. was so fleshed out that um, it was just great to work with. Actually, they're all fleshed out. That was, that's one of the the wonderful things about these books and why I was so happy to uh, take the directing helm was just that they may be action and they may be demons and monsters, but they are, as Peter would say, and they're they're character studies. Exactly, yeah. these people like are that. humans. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and there's great interaction going on there. So, um, yeah, yeah I was, and you can. No, go ahead, Peter. Let's go. No, no, go on. I was just going to say that I was intimidated, but the more I've done it, the more I've I've just loved doing it. And uh, by the time I got to uh, Messenger's Legacy, I was so into it, I couldn't tell you. I was dreaming. <laughs> 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 Who is the actress in, uh, in, uh, that you're, the, of the role that you were referring to? In, uh, uh, Alyssa Wilmoth? Alyssa uh, Wilmoth, uh, who is tremendous yeah. as a Nevera. Yeah. She really is. She when we when it was time to promote that book, we um, my publisher wanted to make a, a trailer and have never do a voiceover for the book trailer. Oh, really? And so they made this they made this video and um, they said, well, you know, like, what should we do for Never's voice? And I said, we have to get a listen to Like, like <laughs> let me call up Graphic Audio. I like get her contact information. Send it to your production company. It has to be Alyssa Wilmoth. She is now the voice of Never. And like, you know, I, I would bro- I would brook no other. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she me. did such a fantastic job, and I, and I was like, look, she already she's already got the voice down. She's already sort of established herself as that character. Like we just need her to do like a minute of voiceover. Let's let's have somebody who's already an expert do it, and she rocked it. She did really great. Oh, she knows it um, front and back now. <laughs> she really does. <laughs> 
Yeah, that was always uh, yeah. That was always the fun thing when I was directing too, because when you're directing, you have, you're kind of juggling so many balls that it's fun when you work with uh, an actor that's been doing the character for a long time. Because even even like you said, Peter, you know, you're writing it and you're dealing with everything, and you kind of forget small details here and there. Sometimes the actors would start to call me out on, "Hey, you didn't pronounce that word." Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's not what he meant by that. He actually means. And I'm like, holy, yeah. Geez, all right, yeah, I guess you're right. Yep. Uh, so it's it's funny to see the actors kind of really, especially with these longer series where i mean Alyssa's been playing in ever since the warded man which we started she really yeah i mean we started that in what 2008 2009 wow. yeah so. you live with these characters yeah, i mean they, they've really you know started to to be these characters um so yeah it's interesting that yeah but it's interesting when you go from a character like like in ever in the first two books like she's got a couple of lines here and there but mm. she's not like a main character right. and then in the third book like she's just like she's in, you know, she's in like every scene, and and like is the protagonist in a lot of the scenes, and so like that's a big sort of shift from like oh I'm going to come in and do a couple of lines here and there to suddenly uh, you know being being the yeah. central character. Yep, that's <laughs> one of the scariest things about a long running series is you never know what's going to happen to a character that's a that's what we would call a red shirt in episode one. It's true. <laughs> I remember when. Um, Drew Copas, who plays the lead in Messenger's Legacy, came in. I told him, I said, if if he doesn't show up again, there ain't no Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so pleased to see that character show up again in the skull throat. I can't tell there you. Go. Yeah. So was the actor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice steady work. <laughs> So uh, yeah, and it, there's there's a couple of other Messengers Legacy characters, uh, Reagan and Alyssa, who were again sort of throwaway characters, not throwaway characters, but like you know bit parts in, in, in the early books, yeah. and mm-hmm. and they're going to be they're going to have like a big chunk of uh, of the final book. Are they really? Um, and so. Yeah, so tell them to get ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, so now, does that 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 that, that leads to a next? My next question was: is, is the final? You have a final book in sight. You're not going to George R. R. Martin us, are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, like, I always plan the series to be five books. Oh, okay. And I am working on the fifth book right now. Okay, good. Um, there will, I mean, like, I will continue to write books after that. And so, my plan right now is that this last book will close off the this current storyline with these main characters. And so uh, that, you know, it'll probably take me another 18 months at least to write it. Um, Once that closes off the main series, then I still have one more book on my contract and the current plan, which may change, but right now is the current plan, is to then start with that sixth book, uh, a new series that takes place a generation later, oh, okay. so you would have a lot of the same characters from the current series playing, like you know, now the retired generation, and then like a, a sort of younger generation who's off, who's ready to go off on adventures themselves. Um, so we'll keep the setting, we'll keep a lot of the shared characters, and then also introduce sort of a new batch of heroes. So that there, there's cool. a lot um, more stories in this universe. It sounds like. The, the universe that you've established, yeah. uh, you, you want to live there for for a good while to come. It sounds like figuratively. I just I have a ton of story ideas, and I yeah. and I like until I until I run out of ideas and stop feeling excited about it. I don't see any reason to like go off and and 
start from scratch somewhere else. I'm sure um, the fans will be happy to hear that. <laughs> Keep doing it because I'm reaching retirement age and I don't want to retire. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere as long as your books are still around. Johan and I are committed. <laughs> so, yeah, so the, this last book will theoretically close off all of the main stories, but I still have a ways to go. I'm not, like, I, I really just started it this week. Oh, <laughs> I just oh, finished okay. my book tour wow. and, uh, like I've sort of just sat down to start organizing my, my step sheet before I start writing the book. Right. Um, so still got a ways to go. Do you, Peter, uh, from an author's perspective, do you end up, uh, do things go off in directions you don't expect or are you pretty well planned out when you're writing the, when you're writing the story? Uh, I plan probably more than any other author I know. I write like, you know, I, I essentially write uh, like a script and then I write the, the book over it. So like I like by the time I start writing a book, I've already got a couple of hundred pages of like bulleted lists of like chapter one. This happens, this happens, this happens, this happens, witty bit of dialogue. This happens, this happens, clever bit of prose. This happens, this happens. And, and so the whole book is sort of spelled out in great detail. So I know exactly what's going to happen before I start actually writing it. And then when I start writing it, it's more about how do the characters feel about what's happening? Because we already know what's going to happen. So now it's like, okay, we have a bunch of main characters who are all in the same place for this scene. Who's in the most pain? Who's going to give the best perspective on what's happening? Who, who like, and, and then that's sort of my approach to the actual writing of the book. So by the time I, I start writing that prose, I've already planned out pretty much everything that's going to happen. And so the series is still following the the original story arc that I had planned when I first pitched it, but there are certainly a lot of characters who I didn't expect to be sort of show stealers. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so you have a lot of characters that, that were meant to be, you know, red shirts that proved to be so exciting or so interesting or so fun to write or whatever that they sort of took off and, and, and grew. And so I actually needed to cut out a bunch of story ideas that I had in the series to make room for all the, like, the new ideas of, from building on what we already had. Um, so you have characters like uh, Leisha Paper's mother, Ilona. Oh, God, she's uh, great. <laughs> this is the thing. She steals every scene she's in. She, you know, she wasn't meant to be a... That's Ren Case. She, oh. Yeah, she's fabulous. Uh, both, both of the actors, Leisha and her mother, like that's such a difficult pair. Um, and the actresses that, that you got to play them like really like are great at the, <laughs> so the sort of like constant state of bickering between the two of them and like uh, you know like Leisha's mother is, is really kind of foul-mouthed and very blunt oh and like gosh. and Leisha like is in a constant <laughs> state of stress about it um, and so you got these two actresses and 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 like just the accents like they kind of like, they both have this sort of like May West Dolly Parton thing going on, <laughs> which which is which I didn't I didn't expect, but it's amazing. 
<laughs> well, that that brings up a question. I mean, the the series has been going on long enough that this that, that this there might be a potential positive to this question. Did did anything that you've heard in earlier of our productions influence the writing of your own books later on? Uh, and you can say no. Uh, <laughs> I mean. I can't think of anything off the top of my okay. head that was okay, like a direct uh, that was a direct change. But okay. I do like like when I was when I've been writing the books, uh, I'll listen to the graphic. Like like if I'm starting to write like for right now, I'm starting to write the the core. But at the same time, I'm doing like quality checks on the Sculptrone graphic audio presentation. Mm-hmm. So I'm using those to sort of refresh myself on the story as I go in and write. And I and so I like like while I can't think of like a direct thing where like okay I did this because of graphic audio. Right. I think there's probably a lot of little effects that that using the graphic audio productions to refresh myself on on things that are happening in the series because there's so much sort of like soap opera going on that you yeah. need to maintain as, as like the more books there are and the more characters there are there's more like who slept with who who killed whose family member like you know who can't be in the room with who and, and, and like as that grows like the graphic audio productions are a great way to sort of like refresh myself on those things and that I think definitely influences the writing like in a, in a subtle way as I'm going forward yeah, you got a lot to keep track of. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> well, that was another one of the, the fun things in that initial meeting with Johan was the accents. Um, yeah. I, I, we had a great discussion about like how to how to work out the accents. Yeah, and that that uh-huh. something that we you know we've really worked on on we kind of have a cheat sheet ourselves of of trying to give each city its own specific dialect, um, which again you know sort of how the demons worked. We wanted people to instantly be recognizable by their accents. So um, obviously you know you have one culture, uh, sort of the the desert like culture that's immediately. Um, uh, recognizable because they're sort of the Middle Eastern, very very obvious sounding accent. But then you have the the other ones where Peter was saying, you know, the, the sort of Dolly Parton esque. Um, <laughs> we call it, we call it the West Virginian accent. Yeah. Um, and but then we have uh, kind of the neutral American accents where just you know people which you think of as having no accent, and then you have people that are nobles that kind of speak with that haughty. Um, you know, kind of almost British, British, yeah. And, yeah, and we've got it. We've got middle class Brits as well. Yeah, now, exactly, too. exactly. So, yeah, we we tried to really use those to to delineate for the listener just immediately to be able to at least place them in in the world. So, yeah, uh, here's a yeah, and we and we did that, you know, kind of purposely, like in so many fantasy stories you have this um sort of pseudo medieval england yep. uh setting and all the accents are are, are british right. and like while there's something wrong with that it's kind of an established thing in the genre like i really wanted to differentiate and so when we originally talked johan johan and i originally talked i said no i want american accents don't think the hobbit think little house on the prairie yeah. <laughs> and i think that that yeah. sort of shifted the focus very much away from maybe the way that you would do a standard fantasy story and kind of gave this a very unique flavor and and you guys really just ran with that <laughs> like well and, and, and it's fun cool. too because one of the main characters the the warded man um, he he is sort of a character that goes across all of these different cultures so 
when we were talking about him, you said, had specifically mentioned that he would kind of change his accent to blend in with the culture so that he would instantly be recognizable. Um, and it, yeah. it's great because his, his, the, the way the speech is written actually is a, a really easy cues for the actors to see, hey, it, you know, this is, he's, he's changing his speech up and he's, he's, he's trying to talk to these people in a more relatable manner. Hmm. Um, and it's also really fun because it gives you a lot of character insight too because depending on how his, his, his words are written, you can tell sort of where he's coming from because he, he, grow up, he grew up in this little house on the prairie corner in West Virginia sounding place. And so when he reverts back to that, it gives you a really good clue into where he's coming from in his character versus when he'll go to his sort of middle or, you know, middle American neutral dialect, you can tell he's trying to, to, to basically push other aspects of his character. Um, so that was a real fun thing to work with. <laughs> Yeah, he, he, he kind of, um, you know, goes off to the big city and gets, you know, gets educated and loses his accent and sort of loses a piece of himself. And when he goes back home and shifts back to the accent, like like we kind of make a point of saying, like, he, he feels like he's talking like himself again. Mm-hmm. And that, like, represents a big sort of shift in, in his character at the same time. And so they they do really work in tandem and it's and it's one thing to write an accent and talk about an accent but it's it's so different to just hear it <laughs> yeah um <laughs> yeah and so, the and the very sort of clipped way that i have them talk like is, is sort of like unique to the series and, and it and like the way the actors sort of blended it into their into the accents that they were already doing like the, like clipping off the ends of words and shortening sentences and and like they just done it in such a way that it really conveys a lot like they hit they hit it all so well like i always wonder how they're going to handle like some of the really sort of deep accented bits of dialogue i write and like they nail it every time um whoever plays rena tanner is also fantastic oh yeah she's great that's colleen delaney yeah yeah colleen's yeah she's she's fabulous yep Now is this uh, is this an uh, a- actually Earth uh, in a, in a different time, or is this just Earth-like in the way that all fantasy is based on human experience? Uh, is this, uh, or do you even think about that? Is I mean, uh, I know the answer to that question, but uh, I make a point of never saying gotcha. because okay. I because I like the fact that some people will think that it's our world, like after a demon apocalypse, and other people will just think it's another world entirely. And so I kind of let the reader imagine that to be whatever they subconsciously prefer it to be. And I feel like if I step in and say one way or the other, then I'm spoiling it for half the the people. Um, Kind of like, uh, do you remember when, when a couple of years ago, when Ray Bradbury came out and like he did this interview and he's like, uh, Fahrenheit 411 was never about censorship. It was all about the horrors of television. (laughs) Did he really say that? He re- he really said that, you know, and he's you know he was like old and cranky, and like maybe he was just being, you know maybe he was just being a troll, but like I was crushed when I heard that. I didn't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that now. Man, don't tell. So that's, that's the sort of thing where like I don't want I don't want to be that guy. So I'm kind of careful to to let the readers fill in the blanks, however they. Are, most want to because it doesn't really matter you know no. so i just like 
the characters are never going to like find an old iPhone in a cave somewhere. <laughs> 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 Broken Statue of Liberty. Or <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. God damn you no, all to hell. Yeah, no Charlton Heston <laughs> screaming at the sky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's been done. <laughs> <laughs> And done well, but yeah, that's yeah. not what I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, well, do you guys have questions for Peter that or stuff that that's like have come up in in uh, the course of things that that you you know you've wondered about or? Um, well, I, I I don't want to get too spoilerish. That's why. I, oh, okay. Because I, I mean, I'd really like to talk more about the Skull Throne just because. That's what I'm working on right now, and it's really cool. Um, but again, what, what book are you guys on? The first so we're one? we're on the fourth one right now. Oh, so no, I mean, uh, what part of the book? Oh, oh. Uh, so we're actually Johan's midway, doing yeah, midway through the second part, part two, and I'm and I'm uh, directing part three right now. Yeah. Okay. And and, and I, I mean, I, I don't want to get too much, but um, uh, by the by the third part, let's say that a lot of stuff happens. <laughs> it sure um, does. And, yeah. and then, Let's put it that way. Um, Peter, did you kind of go into this book sort of knowing that this was going to be maybe one of the the more pivotal books in in just sort of pushing the plot forward? Um, Because some of the, like we were explaining earlier, the earlier books tend to kind of go back in time and give you a lot of perspective and, and study the character a lot. Um, whereas this book is is very much just kind of a, a it's bigger scope. It's, or? it's 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 just more focused on on the present sort of plot that's been set up in all of the other books, and and there's just such a, a push on the on the main plot, and there's just so many pivotal events that happen. Um, did you sort of kind of go into this book knowing that that's what it was going to be, or did it? Did you? I mean, uh, you were how you talk about how you like to outline everything. Right. Where, did you have the bullet points set up, and then it just kind of fell into place domino wise, or how did it go? Right. Yeah. Every everything that happens in this book is something that was that was long awaited. You know, <laughs> and so like in the in the earlier books, you get these big sort of origin stories of the main characters. Um, you see them as children. You see how, like, events in their childhood sort of shape who they're going to be as an adult in the quote-unquote now of the story. Um, and and so, like, I, I'm setting up all of those characters in the earlier books, and, and, and I think in some ways that that's a very compelling story. The origin story, I think, is always more compelling than the... I already have my superpower story. Um, it's why every time they make a superhero movie, they go back to how do they get their powers rather than just, you know, they, they don't start a Superman movie or, or start like a, a, other movies like that with just, you know, the superheroes already here and, and we don't question where they came from. It's always go back to the beginning. So the early books are sort of those origin stories, but then in the, in those origins, I'm I'm laying the seeds for what I know is eventually going to happen, and all of those seeds sort of come to fruition in the last two books. And so there's this huge clash of cultures and people, and, and uh, you know old old blood debts that need to get paid off. That that sort of culminates in the Skull Throne that I knew was coming all along and I've been sort of waiting, you know, for me, like you, the people who are reading the book say like, Oh, it was so hard to wait the two years between book three and book four. And I'm just like, I've been waiting 12 years. I do have to say that as I was, um, after Johan had adapted these books, um, the three parts of the skull throne, 
and I was reading them for the first time, Peter, my jaw was dropping regularly. <laughs> yeah. It was wonderful. Shit gets real in this book. Oh, my God. It gets very real. And yet you still have got um, basic character studies going on with a number of the characters. Uh, Leisha in particular is is still growing you know i mean it it may be more centered on plot and what's happening but there's still way room way lots of room for character growth i think yeah alicia and 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 roger who were like sort of the oh. the the backup singers in the first book yeah. <laughs> uh, really really kind of come into their own in in this book uh, alicia really like after like a sort of long, long period of nothing going right for her, like she really sort, she really kind of comes into her own in this book. She really, and the, the same with Roger. And then we have, we have, we do have a few flashback scenes. So there's a new character, Ashia, in in this book. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, um, I, I've only listened to the first third of of Skull Throne, the, the graphic audio production, so I don't really know how her adult scenes are going to play out at the end of the book, but uh, there's some big stuff coming with her, so I'm kind of excited to to hear it. Uh, so, um, so, Peter, uh, do you kind of foresee any, any additional novellas that take place maybe in between um, in uh, while you're writing on. the core and, and before? Do you think any, any other novellas will come out to concentrate on any other characters or introduce any new characters or are you just going to focus on on finishing off that last book i have plots for about four or five more novellas Hmm. um and so the plan has always been to write them in between the novels and so with with messenger's legacy i turned in um the first full draft of uh, Skull Throne last August, and then I uh, submitted a plot to uh, Subterranean Press. They're the ones who print the novellas. And I said, "Okay, here's the story I want to do," and we like worked that deal out. And then I got the book, I got Skull Throne back, and did my second draft of it. Sent that back to the publisher, and then they're going into heavy production mode, and I'm sort of free for a little while. And so in that gap. While they're in heavy production, I wrote Messenger's Legacy, hmm. and I wrote it kind of like, because it ties directly into the Skull Throne, so I already knew what was going to happen in, in the Skull Throne, and so, uh, so I wrote Messenger's Legacy, and then we, we set that up to come out right around the same time as Skull Throne, so you could sort of read Messenger's Legacy, and it's this great sort of lead-in into a lot of things that are going to happen in the book, and then a month later, Skull Throne came out. Um, and so they're kind of meant to be read together, and I expect it'll be the same way with the fifth book. I will write a novella sort of in that gap of time uh, between the, the finishing the bulk of work on, on the fifth book and when the fifth book can come out, and we'll get the novella out kind of in between. And so I think we can do it more or less the same way we did it with this one. Um, I, I haven't decided what which of the novella plots I'm going to use. So I don't know if it'll be something that's more standalone, like Brand's Gold, or if it's going to be mm -hmm. something that's tied directly into the series. It kind of depends on whether or not there are some stories I think need to be told before we get to the, the climax of the series. So if there's, if there's something I, need, I kind of need to like set the stage, I'll do that. And if not, uh, I'll just do a self-contained one. But there will definitely be more of them. 
good. Awesome. Right. Well, we've been we've been yakking about Demon Cycle for a while. Let's let's listen to some of it. Uh, you want to cue that up, Dwayne? Sure. The thick canvas walls of the pavilion let her see the Kafit aura, albeit dimly. But the subtle variations and patterns of shifting color that Amon read as easily as words on a page were a mystery to her. I think you'll find my words carry more weight than you think. If you secure your position, we are discussing why I should help you do that. Not every man in the Deliverer's Court is a complete fool, Damaja. I may never enjoy the power I did with Amon, but I could still find protection and profit if I side with another. I will grant you a permanent position at court to witness firsthand every dealing you can twist into a way to fill your greedy pockets. Better? But I have spies throughout the Deliverer's Court, more than even you can root out. <laughs> Do not be so sure. But very well, I will offer something even you cannot refuse. Oh? In the bazaar, those words are a threat. But I think you will find I am not so easily bullied as I may appear. No threats, no bullying, at least not for coercion. They will be a promise, should you break our pact. You have my fullest attention. What does the Damage think my heart desires above all? Your leg. Eh? I can heal your leg. Right now, if you wish. A simple matter. You could throw your crutch on the fire and walk out on two firm feet. Though if I know Sly Arben, you would limp out the way you came and never let any know until there was profit in doing so. If such a simple matter, why didn't the Damating heal me when it was first shattered? Why cost the Kaji a warrior by leaving me lame? Because healing is the costliest of horror magics. At the time, we did not have warded weapons to bring us an endless supply of Alagai bones to power our spells. Even now they must be rendered and treated, a difficult process. We cast the dice for you all those years ago to see if it was worth the price. Do you know what they said? <sighs> that I was no warrior and would provide little return on the investment. Minevera nodded. Aben shook his head, disappointed, but unsurprised. It is true. You have found something I want. I do not deny this is something my heart has longed for. Then you accept? My father used to say, love nothing so much you cannot leave it at the bargaining table. I know enough of the ancient tales to know that magic always has its price, and that price is even higher than it appears. I have leaned on my crotch for 25 years. It is part of me. Thank you for your offer. But I fear I must refuse. <sighs> you try my patience, Kafit. If there is something you want, be out with it. A few simple things only, Damaja. I have learned nothing is simple where you are concerned. Mm, from you, that means everything. First, the protection you offer must extend to my agents as well. Of course. So long as they are not working counter to my interests or caught in an unforgivable crime against Evera. And it must include protection from you. I am to protect you from myself. If we are to work together, then I must be free to speak my mind without fearing for my life, even when it is not things you wish to hear. Especially then. Done. But if I choose not to act on your advice, you will support my decision in any event. The Damaja is wise. I trust she would not act wastefully once I have given her the costs. Is that all? <laughs> Aben refilled their teacups. He took a flask from the inner pocket of his vest and added a splash of koozie to the drink. It was a test, and never a new, 
for the drink was forbidden by the Avisia. She ignored the move. She hated Koozie, thought it made men weak and foolhardy, but thousands of her people smuggled the tiny bottles under their robes. At times I may have questions. Questions only your dice can answer. The Alagai Hora are not for the questions of men, Kafit. Did not Amen pose questions to them daily? Amen was the deliverer, is the deliverer. The dice are not toys to fill your pockets with gold. I am aware of that, Damaja. And I assure you, I will not call upon you to throw them frivolously. But if you want my loyalty, that is my price. You said yourself magic always comes with a price. The dice, too, can speak truths we do not wish to hear. What other truth has value? One question. Ten, at least. Ten is more than a Damaji has in a year, Kafit. Two. Two isn't enough for what you ask of me, Damaja. I could perhaps manage with half a dozen. Four. But I will hold you to your word not to use this gift frivolously. Waste the wisdom of Ephraim with petty greed and rivalries, and every answer will cost you a finger. Oh, Damaja, my greed is never petty. Is that all? No, Damaja, there is one more thing. Nevera brought the scowl back to her face. It was art, but easy enough. The Kafit could try even her temper. <sighs> this bargain is beginning to outgrow your worth, Aben. Spit it out and have done. My sons. I want them stripped of the black. And that was from Demon Cycle, uh, book four, part one, uh, The Skull Throne. Pretty awesome. So, uh, well, we, we probably need to start wrapping things up, but I, if, you, if there are loose ends that you, or anything we didn't mention, Peter, that you'd like to bring up or any, any subject you want to cover before we, we do wrap up, is there anything that's? Uh, I mean, I was looking. I was, I was looking at your website. I, I wanted to get a cast list so that we could just sort of gab about the cast because. Oh. Uh, what? It, it, like I, I couldn't find a cast list on the on the on the website. Just sort of casually perusing while we were talking. Well, let's. Um, it just do that? it just has. Uh, can we go into? Uh, let's see if we can go into our cast list here. Yeah. Um, I mean, because you know all these people, because you work with them, and I kind of only know them through their voices. And and then, like, uh, at the end, uh, you sort of, like, very quickly read off their names, but you don't say who's who, and so yeah. I don't, like, like, sometimes I don't even know. So who uh, would you like to know? Who would you like to know about? We can tell you. So, uh, I'll kind of talk about the, the individual characters and, and what I like about their voices, and then I guess you can tell me who they are. Okay. All right. Um, All right. That's so fine. like, like uh, Arlen. Like I, I kind of like that Arlen has this like. <laughs> I kind of like that you don't like, know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that one, that one's, that one's Richard, right? No, that's no, no, that's Johan. That's Johan. Yeah, that's actually me there. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's that's a very good sign, actually. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, because I the reason I, I took Arlen is because I knew he was going to go to that sort of West Virginia twang, and I actually grew up in Southern Maryland, so I, I have a pretty good handle on. That, that sort of chop dialogue. <laughs> so I was like, no kidding. I could probably handle that. Why not? Give it a but you, but you also give him this sort of like Batman voice where like, yes, he's yes. always gravelly all the time. <laughs> he's very like, 
I'm yeah. very arrogant. He I does mean, that. He does that all the time here, and he gets so many raises. <laughs> <laughs> what was well, it? Somebody quoted to me today that that it, it, you should always be yourself unless you can be Batman. If you can be Batman, you should always be Batman. <laughs> always be Batman. Well, yeah, it's true. Arlen has definitely got some some kick-ass. Well, to say kick-ass moments, Arlen's a pretty kick-ass character. So y- you had to give him that kind of hardness, but he also has a lot of of moments where he's really not. Um, he he actually shows a lot of his his upbringing and and kind of a lot of tender moments with Rena, Rena and uh, his wife. Uh, so it was it, it's fun again, like I was saying, with the dialogue, the way that you sort of write it to 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 match those scenes, it, it makes it very fun to play him as a character because you can kind of see from your style how you how at least my interpretation of your interpretation um you know exactly how it's supposed to be acted out so um you kind of gave me a really nice roadmap to work with <laughs> yeah he he has like his sort of like soft human moments usually when he's like alone with rena or or you know in private where he sort of lets his guard down but then he has his like warded man voice which is all very Batman. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, <laughs> and, you, uh, it's the same thing with, with, uh, I don't know who plays Jardier. That's but Thomas, again, Penny. Like, Thomas Penny. Who? Yeah. Thomas, Thomas Penny. Penny. Thomas Penny. And so yep. far you're following um, the cast list that we've got put, <laughs> put up here. Next would be a network. So who that is. Go ahead. Jardier, like you, there's this sort of like resonance to his voice. I don't really know how. It's, it's clearly like a like a production effect, but I don't really know. Can, can you tell that's, me how that works? That's Actually, not that's, a production that, effect. That's, that's, that's Thomas much, Penny. Yeah, that's pretty much Thomas Penny's voice. He, he's, he, that's his voice. He's yeah. a big guy. He so he's pitched down just a little bit when we when we do put him in. But that's pretty much Thomas's that voice. Kicks, yeah. Well, if you've listened to any graphic audio production, the movie in your mind is the voice of Thomas Penny. The logo at the beginning of every single book that we do that's thomas penny yeah he's definitely the you know in a world where you know, that's, that's that's thomas Not penny. Always, i always thought you put it. some kind of like reverb on him or something no. though like no, that's that's straight him that's, that's him how wow when he penny speaks is. outside people get on their knees and stuff and like, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a hell of a voice wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, and then we talked about Alyssa Wilmoth uh, yeah. already. She's just, she's fantastic. She, I, um, I agree. And, Very fortunate to have her playing in Never. And then uh, Colleen is, is Rena, is that Colleen, correct? Colleen Delaney. Delaney, yep. And she's also uh, Sigva. She oh, really? Sigva. Yeah, yeah. And, I, I haven't gone to any of Sikva's uh, speaking parts in this book yet, so well, I'm kind of excited to hear that now. I didn't realize they were the same. Keep keep an ear out because um, in part two she plays Giselle, and you're never going to recognize her. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. Cool. You never know it was her. It's really amazing. Well, her accent is so pronounced as Rena that like she becomes a whole different person. Um, <laughs> But again, like her and her and Johan, the way they play off each other uh, in like the sort of more personal scenes mm-hmm. where they really get like heavy accent going on, mm-hmm. like those are the ones that are, that are kind of the most amazing to me, and the ones that really like I listen to that, I'm just like, yeah, that's exactly that's it. <laughs> like they <laughs> nailed it. Awesome. Good, that is Good. awesome. Um, and then I guess um, the character that plays Leisha, that's sort of interesting, just because she was played by two different actors right. so mm-hmm. far. So she. 
um, when the first two books was played by Karen Novak. Novak, yes, Novak. Karen Novak, and then um, and then Eva Wilhelm yeah. took over. And it's actually pretty interesting, pretty cool because Eva Wilhelm did a really nice job of mimicking what Karen Novak had done. So even though they have different sounding voices, I mean, you're you're probably not going to mistake them for being the same actress. Right. The inflection and the way that everything is read is is exactly the same. To yeah. Where I, when I cast her, I I even told her. I said, look, I'm not looking for an imitation, but I definitely yeah. want the same woman. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that, I think yeah. that's exactly what you get. I, I don't think you'd be confused. I think it's pretty recognizable that it's it's not the same person, but it is the same character. Yeah. It's absolutely the same character. So that was a really nice transition. Yeah, I remember being concerned when you said that we were going to have to recast her, and then... Uh, you don't like like you notice it, but it's not jarring, right? And I, I guess that's what you're going for. Um, and and both actresses really did fabulous job. Um, and then I guess there's who's who's going to play Garrett because Garrett now has a bigger part in this oh, book he's, than he's, he's had before. <laughs> <laughs> Garrett is uh, Michael Glenn. Michael oh, okay. Glenn, and he's also Hasik. Yeah, we, and, and Michael, oh. Michael Glenn, <laughs> when, back when I was directing, Michael Glenn was the pretty much like if you had a character and you just weren't really sure what the hell to do with him, you gave him to Michael Glenn, and Michael gives them their own personality oh, yeah. every single time. Um, and and when we initially did Garrett um, in, in The Warded Man, um, he was a kid, basically, and you watch him grow up a little bit, but he's... He's he, he's always been sort of a secondary character, but he's had a lot of really kind of pivotal epiphanies and growing moments throughout the series, and it's it's fun to watch how the character stays the same, but is now trying to become bigger than himself. And I think Mike yeah. does a really good job. Oh, he really of does. capturing this this you know hick that has been thrown into a very pivotal role. Yeah. Um, and there's that he he is often a source of comedy and especially in the skull throne he just has a couple yeah. one-liners that just, like he just he nails them perfectly they were written perfectly and he picked up on all the nuances and uh and i do have to say he <laughs> comes in really enthusiastic about playing garrett as well as Hasik. he loves those characters makes a difference yeah yeah, Garrett and uh, and Wanda are like the two sort of like bit characters. They are the red shirts in Warded Man that just happen to keep being in the right place at the right time to like be in on all of these big moments. And then over the course of the series, have sort of grown way bigger than than anticipated. And, oh, and so who, who plays Wanda? That's uh, Nanette Savard. And she uh, does a great job too. Like she has that really <laughs> thick accent. Like you know, sounds like she's like like lost a couple teeth. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> Actually, she has. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the first toothless character. Won't, won't be the last. <laughs> she has um, no teeth. I was only kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and so you have this sort of like really like like thick accent and this really sort of like harsh voice uh, uh, for a woman and yet she's such an endearing and likable character and you oh, really yeah. like uh, it, it just 
I don't know. I, I love your whole cast. Like, I, I really <laughs> like, 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 I honestly love these productions so much. And that's why I wanted to do the podcast because I just, like, oh. I wanted a chance to sort of geek out about all the actors because they're, they're all so great. I was just about to say, as far as one of my favorite actors in character is Aben. <laughs> played by Ken Jackson. Oh. And I so often, yeah. Oh my god, the colors on that man and you you are totally convinced he's doing one thing. I mean, it's the way you wrote him certainly, but I love the way that Ken plays him too. Um, he gets a real chance to shine in um, the Great Bazaar, I thought. Where you get a really a chance to see how he plays people. <laughs> yeah, and then he just yeah, like he's sort of manipulating everyone around him, and they don't even know it. Like, I know. They, like he, he convinces them that it's their own idea. <laughs> um, and 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 yeah, he's another one that sort of grew in in prominence throughout the series, and like is now sort of one of the big players. Um, we also didn't talk about Roger. Who plays Roger? That's Joe Brack also fantastic and he's he's one of the, the unlucky ones who's called upon to sing on top of it uh, well yeah. can I, I i will tell you something about that my um my daughter you had the words my daughter put the music to it but my daughter that's asked Laura. me she said that's laura supan she said uh, well what are you looking for and i said and i don't know if you know this band or not peter uh the pogues I said, give me the words. <laughs> because I figured, you know, it's a real rousing um, battle song he's singing. And yeah. we could have gone with a lot of different things, but I thought to myself, you know, the Pogues are really gutsy. <laughs> They're really out there. And so when Joe was practicing it, he kept going, I don't think I can sing this. I don't think I can sing this. I'm not going to be able to do this justice. <laughs> and I finally said, Joe, it's the Pogues. And he went, oh, I can do that. <laughs> so we had a ball when he performed it. We had a great time. He's an, he's an extremely spirited man to begin with. He was perfect for Roger. We, we featured that song in the, the, we did a special podcast about music and additional things that we add to productions, and we featured a little bit of Joe singing yeah, that song. Yeah, we did, as, yeah. as, and, <laughs> so uh, as well as the... <laughs> for a taste of that on, on uh, I forget what number the podcast I is, but, but it's it's in there. I, it's called The Things That We Do For You, I think is the name <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> or, or The Lengths To Which We Go, or something like that, or Down the Rabbit Hole with Graphic Audio. We've also got the song of Wayne. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Oh yeah, that too. And so yeah, your daughter did, did amazing work with that, and... Okay. Uh, the song of waning was another one where, like, I kind of when it started, I was like, "Oh, they really did this." And it just wonderful, wonderful. Um, and then one last uh, actor that I wanted to ask about um, because this may this may come up again is um, in the Desert Spear. We have the woman that plays Celia Baron. Um, she's like she has a few chapters sort of at the end of that book and she may end up being a protagonist in another book that I'm going to do um, oh okay Johan do you, do you remember who the actress was That's what's, actually... the, what's the name of the character Celia Baron Celia Baron she was like the the main POV character in like the later part of the Desert Spear where mm -hmm. they do like the big sort of trial how do you spell the oh. last name of the character 
uh, no. B-A-R-R-E-N. Oh, you know, okay, never mind. Sorry, I was just doing a word search on it. Let me look real fast. Yeah, it's been... The, sorry, Peter. It's been a long time for me we, since. We barely. Yeah, that was a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, we barely uh, remember what we had for breakfast. Yeah. So. Uh, she was in the last one. Yeah, but there she it is. It's Yasmin. Oh, oh yeah. Yasmin Twazan. Yasmin Twazan. Twazan. She's great. <laughs> yeah, she's so, also Darcy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Yasmin's a wow. lot of fun because she is. She's so earnest, and she really wants to nail all of the characters that you give her. And and she she really was great as Celia, and she will throw herself into the part. Um, and it's it's really cool. And it could be like a five line part, and she'll come in. She'll have like five different ways that oh, she'll yeah. read it. She'll be like, oh, she could be, you know, she could be really like this, or she could be more like that. I'm like, good lord, woman, you did all of that work to... Um, she's really... So, I, if that's going to be a main character, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I had, like, that, that was the sort of plot that I had to pull out of the center of the series because I needed space. And so I kind of took it and, like, was going to make it a standalone book, and that would be... She would be the main character in that, and so uh, awesome. That'd be fun. <laughs> well, we'll yeah, let her know. <laughs> yeah, she's gonna be really happy. Well, it, she it. I don't know. It'll be a couple of years before we have to worry about it. <laughs> but yeah. Well, she's young. <laughs> yeah. Not like us. <laughs> and, and I might add that all these women we've been talking about are gorgeous. There you go. And available, so the guys should keep listening. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm lying. Yeah. She lies. <laughs> Awesome. Well, this was fun. Uh, sure hopefully was. you guys feel the same. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, yeah, this was great. Cool. Well, well, we'll have to do this again sometime, uh, perhaps when the next book comes out. <laughs> yeah, so. uh, totally. Well, I was going to say, too, if you're ever in the uh, D.C. area, you got to come have a beer with us at least. Oh, please. Like, well, you, you totally got to hang you out. You visit this area uh, fairly frequently, don't you, Peter? I mean, uh, Yeah, every once in a while. I was there for... Um, we met at like World Balticon. Fantasy last November, yeah. and I, and sometimes I go to Balticon, uh, which is not too far from you guys. I think. Um, yeah, it's about an hour away from Bethesda. Yeah, I won't be there this year, but I, I like I'll probably I'll probably swing by the DC area at some point, and uh, I would love to do that. I'd love yeah, to go out and hang out in person. Heads up. Yeah, that'd be great. Cool. Well, uh, well, Peter, thanks for, for joining us. I also want to thank uh, Rose Supan and Johan Detweiler uh, coming in. Uh, it's kind of a blast from the really past. Too much. <laughs> what? I, I just waved. Like, what the hell? <laughs> Johan's waving to you, Peter, so wave back. <laughs> I'm tugging my ears so my mom will know I'm, I'm thinking of it. We, we also want to thank Dwayne Beeman for being with us for most of the uh, podcast today. He had to go pick up his kids from school, I think. <laughs> <laughs> or daycare or something like that. So I'm going to go push the button after we sign off here. Uh, <laughs> but uh, thanks, thanks again. so much. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, this fabulous. And uh, for listeners who want to make sure you go to, this is normally where Dwayne would say, uh, in order to get these fine products uh, in graphic audio, you need to go to www.graphicaudio.net. Net. <laughs> I almost oh. blow it. Oh. See, oh, wow. He would have done it. You know what? You know, you're on a website. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> and I say it like 20 times. Oh. I'm, it's it's Friday. Is useful yeah, for this. You know what? We'll, yeah. he'll, he'll dub his own voice in there. I'll make a point of it. There you go. <laughs> so, so thanks again, you guys. Uh, thanks for everybody who's listening. And, uh, and until next time, uh, peace. Right. Right. right on. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. 
all in your mind. <laughs> 